Here's one thing I'd ask you to do in preparing your hearts. Will you stand with me? Just stand with me. And we are going to begin uh, with a time of congregational prayer. You'll see it on the side screens next to me. Uh, I'm gonna read the part in white and I'm gonna ask you together as a church to read the part in yellow. And then we're gonna have some pauses and moments for reflection in between. Let this be our prayer today though. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your family has gathered today with a like mind and a common purpose to give you our attention, affection, and worship this hour. I do not want to be distracted. All my attention is yours. I do not want to be passive. Hear my prayers and songs. I do not want to waste this moment. Help me be present with you. And just for a moment, I'm gonna ask you in silence to be present with God. Just be present in this moment. Let's continue praying. I judge services based on what I get from them rather than what you get from me, I confess. I restrain my worship because I care too much what others see and think, I confess. I'm often too embarrassed to kneel down or sing loud or raise hands or shout amen, I confess. I sometimes roll my eyes at scripture, songs, and sentimentality, I confess. My mind drifts to my schedule, my problems, or my phone while I'm here, I confess. Let that not be this hour. Take a moment and again, let's settle our hearts and set our minds to be present with God. last part of the prayer with me. Let's say this with intention and with some emotion, church. Today, we are not the audience, you are. Here is our worship. Today, we are not the consumer, you are. Here is our praise. Today, we are not the point, you are. Here is our attention, amen and amen. Would you be seated? Once again, let's just take a moment of silence and begin to focus our hearts and set our minds on the cross.
to you, Jesus, the crucified King. We give our applause and today we sing. The cross, behold the cross. It's the song above all songs, the story beneath all stories. It echoes through history's cavernous halls, beckoning all creation to acknowledge the glory. It's the story of the cross, the glory of the cross, my gain, his loss. It's one thing to read it, but another to live it. You did, we believe, so our applause, we give it to Jesus. Your final day ended and began in the place of a servant. Jesus, I've never met another president, prime minister, or king like you. Jesus, we've seen what those hands could do. Jesus, strengthen knees, cure disease, command a tempest into a breeze, give sight to the blind, restore sanity to the mind, water to wine. Jesus, yet your last day ends with nails in those hands. Your last day begins at the feet of your friends. On their feet are those hands. Jesus. From riches to rags, you washed his feet, though later he denied you three times. From riches to rags, you washed his feet, though later he kissed you goodbye. From riches to rags, glory to dust. From word with God to life with us. From next to the Father to a basin and water. Today, our applause is yours. Jesus, King Jesus. He washed his enemy's feet. Then he healed his enemy's ear. Then he bore his enemy's burden. Nail, nail into the hands that stealed the storm. Nail, nail into the hands from dust we were formed. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? You worked your way up to the bottom. They gave you a crown, though be it of thorns. They hail you as king through jeers and scorns. They gave you a robe, the lashes it hides. They elect you a court, two criminals at your sides. All hail king of the criminals. All hail king of the lost. All hail king of the guilty. All hail the king of the cross. And today our applause is yours, Jesus, because you worked your way up to the bottom. They raised you high for all to see. They hung you on a tree, a king for me. All hail, king of the criminals. All hail, king of the lost. All hail, king of the guilty. All hail, king of the cross. You worked your way up to the bottom. Let there be light, Genesis 1. It is finished, the gospel of John. The same breath that breathed the universe to life in the beginning is the same breath that sentenced sin to death. In the end, from throne room to teenage womb to gloom, then doom, then boom, an empty tomb. You worked your way up to the bottom. And there I was. Here we are. The joy set before you, your image, your heart. The people at the bottom. The pain at the bottom. You want them, you got them. So today, our applause is yours. Jesus, Jesus, 
Jesus. This is the story of the cross. It's where I cling and what I carry. This is the story of the cross. My gain, your loss. It's one thing to read it, another to live it. You did, we believe. Our applause, we give it. Jesus, 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 he frees us. King Jesus. You guys stand and worship with us this morning. together. Death could not hold you. The veil torn before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. What a powerful name it is. 
nothing can stand against what a powerful name it is the name of jesus what a powerful name it is the name of jesus what a powerful name it is the name of jesus amen be seated So as I said at the top of the day, we're going to be praying and singing and meditating through the last seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And the first one I want to start with you guys today is largely believed to be the last thing that Jesus actually says on the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. I'm going to ask you to repeat that after me. Uh, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Now, uh, for the disciples, uh, even though they had spent three and a half years with Jesus and over and over and over again, he told them, this is how it's gonna end. Like, I'm gonna die, then I'll rise on the third day, but I'm gonna die. Okay, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I came to die. Even though it was just like the constant refrain of his teaching, somehow they didn't get it. And the reason is because they expected a different sort of Messiah, exhibit A. Great piece of, uh, of evidence here, Palm Sunday. You ever read about the first Palm Sunday? So uh, every week, a week before Easter, uh, the, the liturgical challenge of the, uh, the tur- liturgical calendar of the church celebrates Palm Sunday. This is this Sunday. Right? On Palm Sunday, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on Passover week, the week that he dies, on a donkey. And as he rides in, the disciples and all these people come out with, with palm branches. They start waving them, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're like worshiping him. And the funny thing is that Jesus just receives it. He just takes it. And it ticks the religious leaders off. They look at him like, Jesus, you need to tell those folks to knock it off. They shouldn't be singing to you like that. And Jesus says, look, if they didn't sing to me, then the stones on the ground would cry out. Incredible, right? Hosanna, they sing. Now, the question is why? Why are they singing Jesus in as he rides in on a donkey? Well, The reason is because at this point, Jesus has tremendous messianic potential in their minds. They're thinking, have you heard of this poor man, Jesus? He's a carpenter, uneducated, just like the rest of us. And yet somehow he has the wit and the authority to smack down on the Pharisees. Have you heard of this guy from Nazareth? What, Nazareth? Yeah, Nazareth. It's said he can multiply food, turn water to wine. Have you heard of this 30-year-old kid? He's healed lepers, given sight to the blind, cures the sick. Have you heard of this man named Jesus? He raises folks back from the dead and he has the ability to calm a storm. If he can do that, then what can he not do to Rome? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, what's fascinating, though, is that if you fast forward from Palm Sunday to Good Friday, within about five days, this same crowd goes from shouting Hosanna to crucify him, 
Crucify him, crucify him, they say. His blood is on our hands, crucify him. Caesar is our Lord, crucify him. We'd rather have Barabbas instead. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, again, let me ask you, how? How does this shift take place? Well, in my opinion, it boils down to one word, control. Or the other side of the coin of control, trust. It's what the crowd was lacking. They did not trust in God's way of crowning a Messiah. And so instead they took control into their own hands. Here they see Jesus arrested in chains, subjected, defeated, about to be crucified and killed on a cross. And this was not the sort of Messiah that they wanted. So they, so they denied him and took control. And isn't this our way, the human way? Jesus' way is to entrust everything into the hands of God and our way is to take control into our own hands. And yet I would suggest to you today that we are most like Jesus when we entrust everything, everything into the hands of God. There's this interesting passage in John 19, 28, where it says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. Now, this isn't just play acting, Jesus really is thirsty. He's dehydrating in the sun here at the midday of a Middle, East, a Middle Eastern day. Like he's, he's burning up, he's bleeding out. No doubt he was thirsty. And yet, what I find so compelling is he has the presence of mind as he dies, to even see his suffering in light of the will of God. That's the sort of big trust we need. And I would ask you, is that the sort of trust you have? A lot of us would like to think we trust God enough to be on a cross next to Jesus, but if you can't trust God in the little things day to day, what makes you think you can trust him in the big things? So I wanna encourage you right now to reflect on Jesus' words, but personalize them. Father, I entrust my, what? Into your hands. What is it for you today? My disappointment and my anxiety, my relationships, maybe it's my money. Father, I entrust my, what is it for you? I want you to take a moment and either quietly reflect on it or lean in with your family, your friends that you're here with today, and just give them a word as we continue to worship. Drenched in tears 
They laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the phrase from the cross that I want to look at comes also from Luke. Luke 23 verse 34. Uh, then Jesus said, Father forgive them 
for they do not know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing, Father. But forgive them anyways. Oh, the grace of Jesus on the cross. Now, I think the reason why many of us don't appreciate the forgiveness that comes from the cross is that oftentimes most of us don't use it in that way. We know in some sort of like, I don't know, theological sense that the cross wins us forgiveness, but how often do you hit your knees and confess your sins and lay them at the foot of the cross? It's what it's for after all. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now, that we've been texting in some of the ways Jesus has changed us. I want you to text in confessions now. Uh, This is especially for those of you online so we can all join together. Go to the menti.com website, enter the code, and following after the model of Jesus, Father, forgive me for, fill in the blank, be vulnerable for him. His cross is comprehensive and capable to cover any and all sins. Well, how great the forgiveness is of the Father. Now, as you're thinking through that, as you're getting honest with with God and yourself, I want to show you uh, a painting. This is a painting done by the 17th century artist, Rembrandt, Dutch artist. Uh, You might recognize it, it's called Raising the Cross, one of my favorite ones to reflect on during this season of the year. It looks like most Renaissance art, it's kind of gloomy and dark, you can't even really see some of the faces, they're sort of, uh, you know, blurred out in the back. But in the middle of painting, there's this ray of light coming down, not only on Jesus, but also on this this man at the foot of the cross. This man in this ancient scene dressed in 17th century Renaissance garb. You know who that man is? It's Rembrandt. It's Rembrandt. Rembrandt painted himself into the cross right there at the feet of Jesus so there could be no doubt of his guilt and complicity in putting Jesus there. But Rembrandt painted himself into the cross right there at the feet of Jesus so there could be no doubt of the forgiveness and grace that's received there. Rembrandt painted himself into the cross. And my question for you today is this, have you? Have you? I wanna encourage you to take this moment right now and paint yourself into the cross.
goes on to explain it while he hangs on the cross. Uh, in fact, it's interesting. If you read John's gospel, you see while Jesus hangs on the cross, he is going through a tremendous amount of emotional pain because of the relational loss in the moment. Uh, in John chapter uh, 19, verse 26, it says, when Jesus saw his mother, and again, remember, he's hanging on the cross. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, Here's your son. And he said to his disciple, here's your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. It's a heartwarming moment to see Jesus caring for his, his mom and his best friend, but it's also, it's also a painful one. Have any of you ever had to go through the grief of losing a loved one? It feels like this past year has been a season of disproportionate loss, hasn't it? I want you to know that Jesus knows what it feels like. In fact, I want you to know that your father, God, knows what it feels like to lose a son, and Jesus knows what it feels like to lose a father. In Mark chapter 15, this is exactly what happens as Jesus is hanging on the cross. Again, another last saying of his. At three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now notice what Jesus is not saying while he hangs here on the cross. He's not saying, oh my head, there's thorns in it. Oh my hands, there's nails driven through them. Oh my body, it's bleeding out, I'm dying. No, he's in tremendous physical pain. He's literally being tortured to death. That's what a cross was, but he's not crying out in physical pain. He's crying out over the relational forsakenness that he experiences in that moment. And I wanna let you know that when you lose a loved one, 
When you experience relational losses, as Jesus is experiencing here, as he's separated from God in our stead, there is no, fa- there's no pain that's worse than that. The psychologist will tell you relational loss is the worst sort of pain, especially, especially if the person you lose is close to you. If you lose a friend, it hurts. If you lose a family member, it really hurts. You lose a, a son or a daughter or a, a mother or a father or a spouse. The pain runs so deep. And here we see Jesus bearing this inestimable sin burden of the world and the forsakenness of all mankind so that we might not lose our relationship with the Father. There's a certain sense of shame in that to know that I did that to him, but there's also a certain, certain sense of gratitude and thanksgiving knowing that Jesus did that for me. And why? Why did he do it? Well, it's because you and I are the joy that set before him. Jesus knew the cost of the cross before he stepped into it, but he also knew the cost of the cross if he didn't step into it. And he counted me and you worth it. You're worth it, you're worth it. I'm worth it. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And in so doing, he broke the penalty and the power of sin on our lives. And so together, we can rise. In fact, I wanna read to you from Romans chapter eight. Will you stand with me? It sums up all this well, and then we'll sing about it together. Romans eight, chapter, uh, or Romans chapter eight, verse three and four. The apostle Paul writes this. He says, God sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Amen. Let's sing it. By your Spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is res. Come on, let's sing this. By your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me in your name i come alive to declare your victory the resurrected king is resurrecting me by your spirit i will rise from the ashes of defeat the resurrected king is resurrecting me in your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me.
was borrowed for three days his body there would not remain cause our God has robbed the grave cause our God has robbed the know this, but there are actually two times in Scripture where God says, it is finished. Different Greek phrases, but same theological idea. One is on the cross, and the other is at the end, when heaven falls and everything is made new. Uh, We studied this one uh, last week, John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is on the cross, And this is what he says. He says, it is finished. Tetelestai, the mission is complete. The battle has been won. Checkmate, evil. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then in Revelation 21, chapter 4, when the entirety of the cosmos is being renewed around us, we hear it again. John writes, he will wipe every tear from their eyes in that moment. There will be no more, no more. It will be no more. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. It's finished. It is finished. And I love that thought, that idea, that we're living between two pronouncements. The pronouncement of Jesus on the cross that sin, evil, death, and all of its minions is finished. And the pronouncement one day when he comes back and it is eliminated, cast out of his good creation forever. Have you ever thought about that before, by the way? If there's really no evil or death or sin in heaven, I've made a list for you. Um, that means 
there will be uh, no police in heaven, no prison wardens in heaven. We won't even need to lock our doors in heaven. There will be no FBI or CIA. There will be no judges, juries, or lawyers. There will be no preachers in heaven. Now, now I hope some preachers make it in heaven, but the point is that I'll need to find a new job when heaven falls. The oppressed will get their comfort. The sick will get their healing. The prisoners will get their freedom. The martyrs will get their reward. And those marked by the beast will fall while those sealed by the lamb will rise because the lamb that looks like it was slain will emerge as a lion and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more poverty, no more hunger, no more famines, nor food deserts, just living water for everyone. No more racism, no more sexism, no more ethnocentrism or nationalism because every tribe, nation, and tongue will sing together. There will be no more war, no more refugees, no more tanks, bombs, or guns, no more school shootings or bullies or acts of terror done in the name of God. There will be no more victims of the system or corrupt politicians or untouchable CEOs. There will be no more addictions or ODs or recovery centers or 12-step groups or prisons or halfway houses. There will be no more human trafficking, no more abuse, no more hashtag me too's, no more sweeping evil under the rug or hushing it in the closet. There will be no more suicide or mental illness or anxiety or depression or medication or counseling. No more ambulances, hospitals, handicapped parking spaces, cancer wards or chemos. No more seizures, no more heart attacks. All these things are gone forever. It is finished and this is our living hope. It's our hope in the future that should change who we are in the present. So I'm going to encourage you to stand again with me and together as a sung prayer, let's sing about the living hope that we have, church. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to where my sin and bear my shame the cross is spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my living 
your communion. We're going to partake of it together. As we do, rather than giving you um, fancy communion meditation, I just want to read to you straight from the Word of God. When the Apostle Paul is describing what communion looks like to the church in Corinth, this is what he tells them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember it. Uh, remember me. Let's take the bread in remembrance of Jesus' body broken for us.
verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of the new covenant confirmed in his blood. Then in verse 26, Paul writes this. He says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Again, this is a summons in this moment to remember the power of the cross, the penalty and the power of sin broken, the it is finished, but to also look forward in anticipation to the day when Jesus will say no more. So I'm going to do something that we don't do very often. I'm going to ask the guys to stop playing, and I'm going to ask you and I to sit in complete stillness and silence before the Lord. Meditate on the cross. Meditate on the tomb. We've got little ones in here, and so you'll hear their cooing and cawing throughout. You know what I think when I hear that? I think, praise God, we have little ones in our church. I do. So praise God for that. For the rest of us, let's sit in stillness and silence. I'll read it one more time to you. Luke, or uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Paul says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's meditate on that. Amen. I heard one pastor uh, 
who I love say that one of the most countercultural things we can do today in a world that is busy and constantly distracted is to regularly be still before the Lord. Our last saying of Jesus, saying number seven, we've covered them all today. Here's where I want to end. Luke chapter 23, verse 42. Luke writes, uh, then the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, uh, we studied this passage a couple weeks ago, uh, but honestly, I, I love it because, okay, I call it buzzer beater forgiveness. Because here you have this criminal in literally the last moments of his life, like tossing up a prayer at the buzzer, hoping he might get in. Hey, Jesus, just remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus is like reviewing the tape, like, but, 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 you know, did he get it off in time? Did he get it off in time? Did he get it off? And yes, he did get it off in time. And so today you'll be with me in paradise. And the crowd goes wild, right? Now, I know that sounds like it's trivializing it. And again, I'm, I'm making fun of it, but, but at the same time, look at it. Look at this moment. Look at this statement. Look at the extravagant forgiveness and grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How much does this criminal know about the identity of Jesus in this moment? Not much. Well, let me ask you another question. How much does this criminal deserve to be on the cross in this moment? Well, if you read earlier, he literally looks over at the other criminal who's scorning Jesus and he says, have you no shame? We deserve to be here, but this man doesn't. Oh, the grace of Jesus. That's moving for me to think that the very first man who comes into paradise through the cross is perhaps one of the least worthy. This is, this is the cross that we have. One day we'll all be in paradise. Now, uh, while I'm excited to think about heaven and I love meditating on that together with you, all the things that will be no more there, all the things that are finished, you know what I love most about the thought of heaven? Not what won't be there, or I guess you could say here, but what will. Did you hear Jesus' words to the criminal? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. I can't wait for sin to be gone, but more than that, I can't wait for Jesus to be there. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait for the filling and the deep hole in my heart that feels like something's missing as we walk through life. I know what's missing. We've only received the spirit in part as a down payment now. One day we'll get the full presence of him, the crucified king who saves us, the crucified king who is so great, we'll be able to live forever with. I can't wait for the bride to get the groom. I can't wait for the wedding feast of the lamb. I can't wait for all of us to be together with him. Revelation chapter 19, John sums it up like this. He says, then I heard again, what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean wave or the crash of loud thunder. Like, can you hear it? This is what the voice sounded like. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. Look all, that's why we sing. 
That's why we come together on the Lord's Day, Resurrection Day. That's why every Sunday should be Easter, y'all. That's why we, we pray and that's why we meditate on the scriptures and we tell the story again and again and again and again. It's not just to exercise our minds, but it's to excite our hearts for the wedding feast of the Lamb. You and I, Paradise is what's in store for us. Our best days are ahead of us. And even though these days can sometimes be painful and hard and feel like they're unbearable, here's the promise. Hear Jesus say, one day you'll be with me in paradise. You are going to live forever. Thanks to the cross and our crucified King on it. Amen. So one more time, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. And with all you got, church, I want you to sing this song about our forever with him, loud and proud, as if Jesus himself were listening because he is.
and forever risen on applause one more time the reason for the season the reason every day man Jesus why hey to uh, end our, our worship time together uh, I want to say another congregational prayer these are the basic truths that we believe as Christians and uh, I think it's always important for us to continually declare these together and after we pray this uh, Rhonda will come up and uh, we'll dismiss safely will you read these words out loud with me Let's pray this together. Jesus is God, our King. He was, he created, and he promised. Then he became, he lived, and he died, for God is love. He rose, he sent, and he ascended. Now he revives, he heals, and he restores, for the Spirit lives in us. He will return, he will judge, and he will renew and he will be here, he will be praised, he will be alive forever, for Jesus will live with us. God is Jesus, our King. Amen.